You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour two. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960 The Fan live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Bottom of the hour, the GM and the head coach of the Calgary Stampeders, Dave Dickinson, will join us. Dennis Bernstein from the fourth period. He was down in Australia for the Kings and Coyotes at Rod Laver Arena. And I will play some Impossible Flames trivia at 8.30. It's your chance to win a $50 gift card to VK Bruco and some swag. But right now, my man, um, the uh, he hosts uh, Blue Jays coverage pre- and post-game on the Sportsnet Radio Network on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Holland. We say good morning to Show Ali. Hello, friend. How are you? George, how's it going, man? Good. Uh, it's always good to hear your voice. Um, Jordan Romano in non-save situations. It's like... I just don't get it, Joe. Like, he's a guy that uh, he's so nails when the, when the game's in the clutch there and has to save the game. But the number's dictated. An ERA over four when he's a non-save situation. Can you even remotely explain that? Yeah, it's the, it is truly one of the most bizarre statistics. I think he has given up five home runs yeah. in non-save situations. Like, that is truly wild. And I, I, I don't think it is you – know, I was talking about this with – with Blair and Barker last night, like, I don't think it's necessarily that he is not getting up, this is quote-unquote, for these games, because I saw some people make that suggestion. I don't really believe so, but it, it's just, you look at the last couple of outings, and even if we just considered yesterday's game and Saturday's game, and it's crazy that the last two losses the Blue Jays have experienced have essentially been directly as a result of Jordan Romano not pitching particularly well. It's almost the, the Saturday game, George, I almost feel like I can excuse it to a certain extent because if there's anyone who I think deserves the blame for that, it's probably John Schneider and simply bringing out a guy who had the cracked fingernail. And because other than that, Jordan Romano, you know, if, 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 should he had been brought out had he had, had an issue? Probably not. Yesterday was a little more concerning because he had the day off. And then he comes in, you, you would think, well-rested. There are only a handful of games down the stretch. And he just did not have the location. And the problem with, with Romano is whenever he throws the fastball without that location, he has great velo, as we know. But then he tries to sometimes tick over to the slider, and he abuses the slider a little bit more. And he just clearly could not command the zone yesterday at all. And even in, in save situations, he's obviously still one of the better closers in Major League Baseball. But, yeah. boy, he makes an adventure every single time out. And I, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm on the get Jordan Hicks, the closer role in with like six games to go, five games to go in the regular season. I don't think I'm there, but I am, I would be lying if I would say I wasn't at all concerned about Romano going into the playoffs. How would you approach it with Jordan Hicks then? Would it be something as simple as, Hey, if this is a, a tie game situation, then we're just not going Romano switching something up. Well, you know, the weird thing that is, is I guess if, I guess if you're going into extras, there is no save situation, right? Like, because the game is tied. So, I, like, I, I do understand bringing out Jordan Romano, but if there is any, and they would know this better than we do, but if there is any sort of fatigue issue, then maybe you should just lighten the load on Romano a little bit. And I, I got to say, I, I do admit, when, when they went out and acquired Hicks, I definitely thought this would be one of those situations where Romano was still the closer, but just to give the guy so he's not pitching two of every three days or three of every four days, that Hicks would get some save opportunities or some end-of-game opportunities. And we have seen that here and there, but only really when, A, Jordan Romano is completely down because he's already pitched two of three or three of four, 
or because he is injured, for example, right? So I, w- I would like to see them mix in Rip Hicks's role a little bit more, if only because they seem to have straightened out any of the issues with Hicks from his Cardinal days, which was he would bafflingly throw the sweeper sometimes in the strike zone. And now whenever he throws the sweeper, it's not in the zone. It's just to get guys to chase. And by and large, he just throws the, the two-seamer, the sinker, whatever you want to call it, has a lot of run on it. He can get it up to 102 like we know, but... I, I wouldn't – I would be lying if I said I wouldn't like to see Hicks get a couple more opportunities. Even if, if tonight calls for it and Garrett Cole has been holding you down and you need to hold a one-run lead and it's the ninth inning, I mean, you might as well throw Hicks in there and give Romano a bit of a breather, right? So how comfortable are the Blue Jays in a playoff spot if they could actually score when Kevin Gosman's on the mound? Oh, my gosh. They, it is – wild that they give this guy no run support. I I believe there was a game, it might have been right before the All-Star break, George, where Gosman was on the mound and the Blue Jays got combined no hit by, of all teams, the Detroit Tigers. Yes. And I, th- I, I thought to myself, like, they're taking this to, to heart too much of not scoring for Kevin Gosman because it's a little ludicrous. I yeah, It's true. If, if they had, I feel like if you, even if they, you give them, like, two or three runs a game, which I don't think is asking for a lot. In every Kevin Gosman start, the Blue Jays might be the division leaders, which is kind of absurd to say, or at least close to it. But it's true that Kevin Gosman run support has been abysmal for a guy that now ranks, and again, if he plays the final game of the regular season, which looking, I, I, don't, I still don't think it's going to happen, but it's very possible. If it happens, he might actually end the season with the third most strikeouts in the history of this franchise, in a single season, behind the only the two Roger Clemens seasons from from earlier in the in the '90s and so on, like that is that is wild to me that he is going to finish with a win loss record like he has. I know win loss record means very little these days with the way pitchers are deployed, but boy, the the run support for Gosman has been truly atrocious, considering he has largely pitched like an ace for most of the season. What are you looking for with tonight's matchup? Because we got Burrios going against uh, Garrett Cole and. Listen, this is probably going to be one of those type of things that if you look to the playoffs, you're going to have to go up against a good pitcher like Cole at some point if you're Burrios. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, that that is perhaps, Matt, one of the things that does concern me a little bit about this Blue Jays team, just because all year, going all the way back to the beginning of the year, end of March, beginning of April, the offensive power outage or just the lack of run score, especially at home, oddly, so I guess it's, Maybe a good thing that the first three games, and at least it, it, all three games, if they if it goes to three in the wild card, and the first two games of an ALDS, all five would in theory be on the road for the Blue Jays. So, I guess that's a good thing because they seemingly have an even worse power outage at the Rogers Center for whatever reason. But yeah, the, the you got to hit good pitching at some point. They did not hit Michael King, even though the guy walked five people. He could not find the strike zone for huge chunks of last night's game, but still managed to get out of it, and of course carved them for 13 strikeouts the last time. And then Garrett Cole on his way to the AL Cy Young. Even if he got blown up tonight, Garrett Cole is winning the American League Cy Young because no one else is all that close to him. You're right. You got to hit good pitching in the playoffs. And I, I've liked what I've seen from certain guys. Like, I don't know if I'm going to harp too much on Vladdy going up 3 nothing in an AB and then getting called out on strikes when four pitches in that AB were balls. So the strike zone last night was absolutely atrocious for both players. But yeah. it felt like Vladdy for the brunt of the terrible strike zone. But I, I've liked what I've seen patience-wise and base running and defense-wise. It just has to come through a little bit more. And you you would hope that Garrett Cole last time out in New York did not have to throw 
98, 99 miles an hour. He, he was getting by by throwing 95, 96. The braking stuff was working really, really well for him. So if they can be a little bit more patient on the braking stuff from Garrett Cole, I think they'll be okay. And uh, for Brios, I mean, Brios has been so good all season long, guys, but he, he has come back down to earth a teensy bit. Having said that, if he can still use that changeup to both sides of the plate, if he can, obviously the slurve is what he's going to rely on very heavily. But if the changeup looks good tonight against a lineup that, again, has not a lot of pop to it, even if they put Judge and Volpe, who didn't play last night, if they both go back in the lineup today, I mean, beyond those two, and I guess, Austin Wells at this point. Like, I don't know anyone's that afraid of Giancarlo Stanton or DJ LeMahieu. I suppose Glaber Torres is the other guy, but there, there are not a lot of power threats in this lineup. So Barrios, I have, I have a lot of confidence that he'll be able to uh, acquit himself pretty well. Show Ali does Blue Jays pre and post game on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960 The Fan. I know talking about defense and run prevention isn't the sexiest thing, but that's what this front office was was really the point of emphasis in the offseason, and clearly the numbers dictate that. I think the most surprising thing in, in the defense and how well they played was the outfield's been terrific, even though Darton, Dalton Varsho can't hit. But uh, the fact that Bo Bichette only has eight errors this season, show are we talking enough about how good he's been at short? Yeah, probably not, honestly, George. And I think that it goes to show that even after the a number of injuries that were a little concerning, the knee injury and then the quad injury, he has been very good even coming off the IL both times. And certainly before the uh, stint to the IL, he was still obviously very good. It's just funny because I think a lot of the conversation about Bo Bichette this year revolved around whether or not he would even be a shortstop long-term, like whether or not Bo should play at second and they should go and sign a star shortstop like a Trey Turner this past offseason. Obviously that didn't happen because the Blue Jays clearly see Bo as their shortstop of the future. But uh, Bo has not made very many bad plays. He routinely gets the balls, whether they are shallow in the infield or whether just, they're just getting to that part of the infield where it meets the grass in, in left. And he's making great decisions, whether it's to shovel the ball to second or making phenomenal throws to Vladdy or Biggio or Bell to whoever's at first base. He does it very fluidly and makes it look pretty seamless. And it's funny because, again, the conversation about Bo at the beginning of the year was elite offensive player, perhaps a below-average shortstop. And I, I've always thought that if you got even just average defensive play from Bo, you're probably talking about overall maybe a top three shortstop in all of baseball. And I think we've actually gotten better than above-average play from Bo at defense this year. So, I mean, if you're talking about the future of shortstop at, in, in baseball, he probably is, especially when you consider the ages of some of the other guys who are considered quote-unquote better than him he probably is going to be one of those one of those guys you feel good about having it short for a very very long time and they've already lost him up for another three years over course over the course of the season we've talked about john schneider's decisions over different parts of the season i'm curious as to how much or where you can kind of look over the season and see where don mattingly has kind of had his fingerprints over because we talked about his addition going into the year but it hasn't necessarily been something that's come up over the course of the season a ton. And now we're almost at the end. Where have you seen his kind of impression on this group? Boy, that's a great question, Matt. I, I almost feel like wow. I haven't seen his impression. Like, is that crazy to say? I, 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 I honestly don't know what the measurable <laughs> impact of Don Mattingly on this group has been. Because I, I would have actually thought when you had a group that hit as well as they did in 2021 and 2022. And I know the personnel changed, but subtracting only Teoscar Hernandez and 
Lourdes Gurriel Jr. from last year's squad specifically, because, of course, Marcus Simeon left the year before. But you take those guys out, and, yes, they've hit, I think, around 50 combined home runs for their respective teams. But even taking those guys out, I would have thought that adding one of the best hitters we've seen ever, maybe, and Don, Don Mattingly would have made the offense look a little better. And it just it, it almost feels like – I don't know where you guys fall on this, but it almost feels like in all the conversations we've had – over this season about the hitting coaches should be replaced and in the off season, get rid of all of them, hire new ones, bring up Matt Haig from Buffalo to be the new hitting coach. Like whatever their decision ends up being, I would have honestly thought that Don Mattingly would have honestly been held a little bit more accountable maybe for, for, for the, the, the hitting not being at, or the offense, let's say not being quite as prolific as everyone expected. It just, it, it almost feels like, it was just a way for Don Mattingly to just kind of like tread water a little bit until he probably like inevitably becomes the new the new manager for Brian Cashman's New York Yankees. Um, uh, there was an uh, impact on Saturday when uh, Ron Culpa, uh, the umpire on Saturday's game in Tampa Bay, the first inning said, "Okay, that's enough, Donnie." In the first <laughs> inning, I heard an impact there. There's an impact there. Show it's enough, Donnie. <laughs> That's true. He he does seem to uh, help. Maybe maybe he's empowered John Schneider to yell at umpires more. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I love I love when they yell at umpires. Um, this uh, the Blue Jays team. Uh, George Springer. Um, I know that so far, you know, as a whole, maybe the contract isn't you know paying off for the Toronto Blue Jays. But man, show this guy once it's playoff time, once it's September baseball, the guys all of a sudden just snaps into that guy that the Blue Jays wanted and signed all along. Just. Just talk about how good George Springer's been here lately. Yeah, I think one of the upticks for Springer this season has been, and I think it's been a positive, because I, I feel like people kind of view this as somewhat of a quote-unquote a demotion, but when they brought in Varsho and certainly signed Kiermaier as well, I remember when they signed Kiermaier, they said, he said to the media that he was brought in and he was told he was going to be the starting center fielder, and then we all kind of assumed that Springer, certainly with the injuries that he had suffered over the last couple of years, would be moved to right field. And I, I do actually think his move to right, he looked great in right field. He makes some great running catches, sliding grabs, diving grabs. He has looked phenomenal. Things that we have been, become accustomed to seeing, certainly uh, since he was in center when he signed with the Blue Jays a couple of seasons ago. But I really do believe with Springer's move to right, he has been able to expend slightly less energy in the field. And he's almost been able to use that energy at the plate. Now, of course, there have been times this season when he went through the, rig, the big rut, and I think there were questions. Certainly, George, you mentioned the contract, and you know, has he reached the stage of the contract a little sooner than we thought, where maybe that contract is going to look a little more onerous for now? But he has picked it up to his credit in September. He is very—it's it's perhaps not something you can necessarily explain because he always seems to be a little bit more clutch in September than he is in in August or, or July or June. But he has been definitely phenomenal. I, I also think the move to right field has helped him stay out. It happens every now and again because everyone gets turns in the DH role, but it has helped him stay out of the DH role as much as he was in there last year, which is good because the DH role this year has been occupied more by someone like David Schneider sometimes or Spencer Horowitz when he was still in the majors or certainly Brandon Belt when you want both Vladdy and Belt in the lineup and Belt made his return yesterday. So I, I like that. Springer has been able to keep up the offensive production, even if it's been a bit of a roller coaster of a season, certainly late. Because his play in right has been, in, has been so good, it's allowed him to move out of other spots in the lineup. So it's been, I think, ultimately the ripple effect of moving him out of center has been has been felt across the the rest of the lineup in a very positive fashion. 
as you're talking about the versatility of him in the outfield, I'm thinking of Kevin Biggio on the infield and how he's moved around all over the place, and now he's having some real strong success with the bat as well. What have you made of the way he's come around here at the end of the season? Man, isn't it crazy that at the beginning of the season, or maybe like end of end of April, a lot of people were saying, Will Kevin Biggio be a Blue Jay in 2024? And here we are talking about how Kevin Biggio might be one of the most offensively and defensively important players on the entire team. He never gives you a bad AB when he's up there. His, he always has a pretty good eye for things. I, I, I've always enjoyed how he is, even when other guys seem to, seem to take swings at the first pitch, he's pretty patient, which is good. He seems to understand the strike zone for, for everyone here. And then when you look at his defensive play, boy, he plays – Essentially, I guess I was going to say three, I guess four positions very, very well. First, second, and third, and right field whenever Springer needs a breather, which, again, is not that often. But Kevin Biggio has made plays at all of the all of the bases, certainly, and even at third base when Chapman was out. I remember thinking, boy, we're going to get a preview of what a post-Matt Chapman third base world will look like when balls are not getting knocked down at third and trickling into left field or or guys touching it and it doesn't end up going foul and a run comes across or a guy gets the first on a fielder's choice or whatever. And Biggio has probably been the guy I have enjoyed watching at third the most, if only because he has really solidified that position. Certainly when Chapman was out, you can still put him at second. We've seen him at first, which is a place he has played very often. And even when he's in right field, a place he doesn't play that often, he's making diving grabs, scooping the ball off the turf. He moves around pretty well out there. So that he has been that good defensively, I think is very impressive because it cannot be easy to be asked to be playing four different positions essentially in two weeks. So I've been very impressed by Kevin Biggio. And I, I do wonder, he'll probably still be a super utility guy, quote unquote, as we go into next year, because I, I got to think the plan for third base, if Matt Chapman does move on, and it feels likely he will, if Matt Chapman moves on and Arelvis Martinez or Addison Barger or David Schneider are in the plans for the infield, then Vigio will probably remain a super utility guy. And, hey, I mean, he's been very successful at it. So far be it for me to say he should be playing one position because he looks great everywhere. Uh, show, uh, we're all looking forward to hopefully some playoff baseball early next week, probably at the Trop in Tampa Bay. Uh, hopefully we'll be watching those games. Thanks for this, pal, as usual. Yeah, anytime, guys. There he is, Shoa Lee, uh, host of uh, Blue Jays pre- and post-game on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Does a terrific job. Yeah, he does. That was great. I enjoyed that chat a lot. I'm excited for the playoffs, man. I like playoff baseball. I find it maybe hard to sit down and, and watch a three-hour baseball no, game again, in like, the hey. middle of June on a beautiful afternoon. But sure. when we get down to the short strokes and I don't want to be outside and Listen, every every pitch counts, like, oh, man. I'm like, you, guys, you guys have told me that. excited. In 2019, when the Raptors made that run to the championship, it picked up a lot of momentum here in Calgary. People really got on board with the Raptors winning the NBA championship. It was there the was same watch way. parties. Yeah. People were into it. People were watching all the games. People yeah, were 15, talking about 16 it. 16 with the Jays were pretty big. Well, that, yeah. like, that's, that's, what say, yeah. that's what I'd love to experience here with yeah. the Blue Jays. Like, have like, mm-hmm. could you imagine the Jays get to the World Series? I think mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in this city would be excited. Oh my god! Oh, yeah, very much so. Like, like because I've, I've told you, like, there's I, a lot I, of fair weather baseball fans, and that's cool. I get it. Like. You're not into the regular season, but come playoff time, you're going to watch the games. And if the Blue Jays have a deep run, mm-hmm. I think it would be cool to experience that in a city like Calgary. 
where, you know, it isn't so baseball crazy like it is in Toronto, but it would be cool to, to experience that here. Like, the thing is, I just don't think you get as many people who have, like, the, the blatant almost patriotism for the Jays because you never get to wear your stuff down to the building. And yeah. I, I think people people don't love to wear their gear around town if you're not going to the game or you're not going to watch the game. Like, you see a couple Jays jerseys after a big win here or there, but I'm going to guess it is nothing compared to what you would get if you're out east. Yeah. I think people maybe just are a little bit more in the closet of their support of the team. Yeah, it, but the thing is with the Jays, like, it, it's the one thing that kind of unites the country because it's the only thing on in the summer. Mm-hmm. And and obviously, that like... the CFL, but yeah, it's... Oh, it, it crushes sure. the CFL. But uh, also, uh, when it comes to the Blue Jays and their roots in Western Canada, that's because of the TV deal that the Jays signed in the 80s that screwed over the Expos. Mm-hmm. That Expos games yeah. weren't allowed to be shown in Western Canada. Yeah. The Jays assigned the rights for Western Canada. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of Jays fans uh, here, like, look, look, what, look what happens in Seattle when the Jays are in Seattle. Like, it's it just nuts. pisses off yeah. the Mariners fans because it's all Blue Jays fans buying up all the tickets. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah, hopefully uh, Tuesday playoff start against the Rays. I'm I'm sure it'll be on right after our show at like ten in the morning. We could have some Blue we'll Jays right baseball. Right to pregame on. for sure. Right to pregame <laughs> for Blue Jays baseball. You know what? If the Blue Jays are in the playoffs, maybe we do the pregame at from nine to ten. Maybe oh, we man. stay. That would uh, be cool. Our sure. own little pregame. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Maybe. Or, uh, I mean, they got the interviews and or, everything, too. But they sh- we should probably let, like, the better pregame show. Yeah, like, like we should probably let it. the pregame like, do Blair the pregame. Like, Blair Marker do it would be way Talk better than us. We could just, yeah. like, heavy-handed do baseball for our last hour. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I'm sure Blair and Barker would do a better job than we would Blue Jays pregame. I know they would do a much better job than I could do, so, th- yeah. I think I'm, that's fair. I'm straight ahead. The head I didn't coach. play in the majors like Barker. So. No, you didn't. Um, you could. I was close. Yeah, could have. I didn't um, have the drive. Yeah, that was a problem. That was a knee injury. I had all the physical yeah, that tools. Knee injury. All it's like the a lot of guys tools. in beer league. Wasn't that knee injury would have managed the show? I did that have damn a, knee injury. I did have a knee injury when I was in school. It probably uh, prevented you from playing in the NHL. Yeah, it probably did. Uh, Dave Dickinson, the head coach and GM of the Flames, and uh, another Taylor Swift update. Oh, good. We'll do that next. It's the big show. Russick and Rose Sportsnet nine sixty. The fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. At the top of the hour, we're talking to our man Dennis Bernstein from the fourth period. He was down in Australia for the Kings and Coyotes. We'll get his take on that. We'll get his opinion on Michael Backlund potentially re-signing with the Flames. Yes, sir. Three years at around five and a half mil, according to Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts. We'll do that with Dennis Bernstein coming up at 8 o'clock, and we'll play Impossible Flames Trivia at 8.30. Your chance to win a $50 gift card from VK Bruco and some swag. But on the line right now is the head coach and general manager of your Calgary Stampeders on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We say good morning to Dave Dickinson. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm doing all right. You guys? We're good. Um, Dave, uh, I know it's it's been tough. Uh, I just want to start things off a little lighter. Um, the whole Taylor Swift Travis Kelsey thing is just catching uh, the football world by storm. Uh, in your playing days, when you were in the NFL or in the CFL, was there any sort of celebrity any one of your teammates dated at one time? Was there anybody who ever came into the, the locker room you're like, wow, I recognize that person? Uh, doesn't seem to be as many in the CFL. Uh, maybe <laughs> salaries. Maybe yeah. the difference in salaries makes yeah. a difference on that. Mm-hmm. Um no, our long snapper at San Diego, his name is David Bin, uh, dated Pam Anderson. Get out of here. Long snapper, yeah, let's he go. 
And a uh, crazy thing like uh, like Baywatch, yeah, Pamela like I didn't Anderson. Really notice. <clears throat> well, I didn't notice too much, but uh, as far as seeing her around, but then he like showed up in like People magazine, like at a grocery store. Like <laughs> I, he's a buddy of mine for sure because he was a hell of a golfer. Like him and Drew Brees and Flutie and I, we'd always play golf together. And uh, he was the best one on it. He was the best golfer. So maybe it's, these Ryder Cup guys have pretty nice looking wives too. So maybe it's the golf game. Yeah, that got that got Pam to to wow. go that way. But uh, anyway, that's a pretty good one. I have to admit, I would have enjoyed uh, at least seeing her hanging around. But uh, pretty pretty much, I don't do much. I just get to my routine. And obviously, I was married to Tammy, my wife, forever here now. And so uh, we just do our own things. That's yeah. not a lot of great stories, but that that is certainly a certainly happened wow. down in San Diego. Well, shout out to David Bin. That's but, quite quite a little foursome for golf, too. Yeah, hey, not like, bad, eh, Dave? <laughs> little name well, drop yeah, there. Time, I like it. Well, you know, keeping it light on that one time, Drew Brees, my wife and I were going up the coast trying to have a little uh, nice trip. And he, I think we were up towards Northern California, and Drew called me and said, hey, we got tea time tomorrow with Mickelson. You want to play? And I mean, I love my <laughs> wife, but I'm, I was half tempted to try to find a flight because <laughs> I, I would have enjoyed that one. But uh, no, that one didn't happen. But uh, there were some good golf foursomes down there in in San Diego. A lot of people, obviously, that's the mecca. So uh, it was it was certainly good on my golf game as well. What well, what well, well, you turned down playing in a foursome with Phil Mickelson? Like, I did, I, but I mean, listen, like you're, yeah, you're a good husband. Dave, Love conquers say. all. Now don't add, now I don't I want to be honest. My wife knows if we were in San Diego, I'd have been there. Now rumor <laughs> was they bet big money though. Which oh. doesn't surprise me now. Like there was thousands yeah. of dollars getting bet. I don't think I would handle that well because I don't. I don't do good. First off, for that amount of money, but also just yeah, the winning the money doesn't feel as good as losing the money. So I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I would have choked uh, playing. And that was uh, Drew Brees and David Ben and Phil Mickelson playing golf. That's awesome, uh, Dave. I'll share a quick story with you. I used to do a poker show way back when in Toronto on the radio. And Daniel Negreanu was one of our guests. And when he plays, or I don't know if he still does, golf with his buddies, Dave, they literally have hundreds of thousand dollars of cash in their bags. And they play for $10,000 a hole. And they put the cash out before they play the hole. Could you imagine playing for yeah, ten grand? You know you're good for it. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. So you know that, hey, you're not betting something you don't have. I can't right. like that. Yeah, again. But that's insane, playing for ten grand a hole. In golf, but when those guys have it, they have it, I guess. What's uh, insane is that uh, these poker players have that much money. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, it, again, especially <laughs> you got like Negron, who's been doing it for so many years, and he's so good at it. Um, there's really no transition. Dave, is uh, poker a sport or a hobby? Oh, here we go. Oh, hobby all the way. Mm-hmm. You're not You're not going to convince me. It's like, uh, you know, I always hear like athlete of the year, secretariat. Nope, don't, don't go there. Um, you know, it's just like a race car driver, in my opinion, is not an athlete either. Oh. He's, he's got a skill. Yeah. No. no, the car should win the athlete of the year over the, the driver. So, like when Jacques Villeneuve won the um, Lou Marsh over Larry Walker, who was the MVP in the National League. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Okay. I mean, uh, that's just my take on it. Okay. I love it. Um, golf or golfers athletes? Well, they they are athletes, but you know I wouldn't put them like you. You tell me, yeah, would I would I rather vote for somebody that like has that certain uh, skill, or maybe a guy that has more? Uh, would I take an NBA guy over golf for 100? percent You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, I have trouble pronouncing his name, but Shea there. I mean, 
Oh, yeah. I think he's one of the best ones in all of the NBA. I, I think Canada's oh, yeah. starting to figure that out after this last little tournament. And, uh, you know, like that sort of guy, uh, always going to put him in higher than a golfer. Now, like golfers, to be honest, what an amazing skill. Sure. Maybe uh, to me, it's I am 100% amazed at what they can do and the amount of time required to get to that. Um, so I would put it a little higher than a bowler. That's what I would put it as. Mm. Yeah, golfer is still a better athlete than a bowler, but, you know, those are kind of just those specialized skills that guys are amazing at, maybe not quite the full athlete, so who knows. It's fun to get some of the guys. It's fun to get some of the hockey guys over here catching footballs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely, uh, you can see, you know, guys that have played multiple sports rather right. than guys that – and they probably love seeing American dudes or guys like myself try to get on the ice. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> They're probably like, wow, this guy is supposed to be an athlete. Look at that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, it's kind of, I guess it's whatever sports you play, you kind of put a little more uh, weight into that. Dave, I love when we go down these rabbit holes. Now I have to ask you, what's your high game in bowling? Oh. Actually, I bowled, uh, I probably in like 260, 270s. I bowl. Mm-hmm. And my parents, that was our thing. And then, like, there was a guy named Walter Ray Williams. I know I got a lot of stories. So we were doing a charity for Big Brother and Sister down in Montana, and the dude didn't show up for the bowling. And uh, they asked me, hey, you want to go against this pro? And it was Walter Ray Rudin. He was really good. Oh, yeah. I said, yeah, but I said, give me 10 minutes. I went and got my bowling ball and my shoes from my, my house, came back. And he went 289, 255, but I went like 260, 235, or 235, 214, something, two of my best games ever. So uh, I should have just retired right there. But uh, I do like bowling. Yeah. That was our thing as my parents. It was a good family activity that was fairly reasonable. And uh, mm. still have my grandpa's shoes. That's what I wear. So I still That's have incredible. a bowling ball here that in Calgary. Awesome. So, yeah, it's kind of a cool story for us. So, wait, 289's your high? That's incredible. No, that was Walter Ray Williams. Oh, no, sorry. Yours is he what? Beat me. Yeah, I had, though, that game. He started out. He had... Ten strikes in a row, and then he got a nine spare or something. That's how he got his 289 on his last one. And I, But I went like five straight strikes, and it was kind of a back and forth. It was mm-hmm. fun, a lot of people watching. Then I then I faltered. I think I faltered. Mm-hmm. I think I wasn't – I think it was like a 235. But it was still yeah. a legend, legendary story for myself because, uh, you know, I like, to, I like to think about, like, myself that uh, in Montana, like, the, I might have bowled a 230, but then – the Ten years later, it was a 250, and then another ten years later, it's 265. You know, it just kept getting right. higher and higher. Those are the kind of things <laughs> I like to kind of perpetuate out there, make sure people know I can throw a ball. Dave, I don't want to brag. Uh, my high game's 257. Okay, well, do you still have your, like, scorecard? Did you print it off off the screen to make uh, sure you can remember it? Or it what? was in, uh, Dave, it was in a league, too, so it was definitely legit because we were just, we just did it for laughs, my buddies and I, when we were way younger, and we, we were far and away the youngest team in this bowling league, and I had a nine spare on my first ball, then I threw eight strikes in a row. Ooh, that's impressive, though. Yeah. I mean, you were you were hot. I was hot. Were you sober? Were you sober? I that's was, another... Dave. I was sober there as yeah. Again, I was just the. It was working. It was working that day. I'm the you one. Throw who... the hook or are you a straight ball guy? Oh no, I throw a hook. Yeah, me too. It's gotta a, have it. Yeah, you got it. You got to hit the right spot of the part uh, the pocket, Dave. Too. Uh, what What's the best oil pattern for a lane? Scorpion. <laughs> See, I don't know that. <laughs> um, I don't know what I do know. There's oil out there, but I don't yep. know what they do. So you're, yep. you're way better than me on that. And now they have in bowling, professional bowling, like they do the two hands that gets more revolutions on the ball too. That's crazy. I, yeah. Have you seen that? 
Yeah, every now and again, like it's either pickleball or bowling on TV. I'll yeah. force my kids to try to watch a little bowling, but it's <laughs> got to come down to that for me yeah. to actually watch something like that. Yeah, pickleball is a little excruciating for a guy who loves tennis so much like I do. Um, Dave uh, Dickinson, the head coach and GM of the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, there's really no transition, um, but uh, last <laughs> week's game uh, was another tough one as well. Just just as a whole, a guy like you, you've, you've dominated the CFL, Dave, not only as a player, but also as a GM. How, how difficult on just a personal level? Well, not maybe difficult, but just frustrating the season's been for you. Well, you can say difficult, too, because it has. Because everything we've, we've tried to put together just it doesn't seem to quite uh, pan out. So it's, it has been a rough year, and um, I'm really just trying to get our guys, you know, because what you want to make sure is they, they keep believing there's not only a, a chance, a hope, but that you're doing the right things to put yourself in a position to win. And, and uh, you do at some point, though, when you're losing, you're like, man, we're doing all these things, we're working so hard, and yet we're not we're not seeing the results. It can get really frustrating, um, but it's a sport, uh, and you have to make sure that you you trust the process and what you're doing. And I, I, I told the guys afterwards, that we're professional coaches, football players. You owe it to yourself, your teammates, your fans. You got to bring your best. And yeah, it's not working right now, but we do still believe we can turn the corner. And and uh, it starts with one win if we can get it, and that's what we we're hoping to get this weekend. Coach, there have been different things that haven't worked for you in different losses over the course of the year. It's been tough to put all three phases together in one. Is there anywhere that you feel like this team has taken a step forward over the course of this season, something that you can build on into these last couple games to try and get these wins and get yourself into the playoffs? Well, we've improved in certain areas, and then we'll backtrack. And we can't, we haven't been able to consistently put together a three phase game, you know, where we feel like everyone's kind of clicking and doing what we hope is at the certain standard. But uh, so we've had a lot of turnover in our roster, more than any team probably wants or needs. Um, and, you know, some of the major injuries have happened against our best guys. But it's, you know, part of the reason we've been over, able to overcome that in the past. But this year, it's, uh, it just hasn't happened. And, We'll seem like we're kind of moving in the right direction, and, and then we step back in that phase. Another thing, another area of the team that's playing well uh, might necessarily, you know, not have its best game, and we haven't been able to overcome it. So, the whole thing about it is just try to keep yourself in the mix, put yourself back in that situation, and and uh, hopefully find a way to push through and get that get that win. And hopefully, from that point there, you just feel like, okay, can we make a run? Possibly, let's go. But it really has to be one win, and mm. has to be this weekend. Yeah, so you can obviously still get into the playoffs. You haven't been eliminated yet, but you mentioned something there that that I think is always key in the CFL, and it is the turnover, the continuity for your roster. How important in these last four games is it to kind of make sure that the culture is set so that the players want to return to this Stampeders organization after a tough year? Well, I don't, I'm not there yet. I'm just trying to, like you said, focus on a game and, and win a game. Um, you know, the guys, I'm going to give them a lot of credit. We've we've stayed connected in the locker room. We've stayed, like, I don't believe anybody, we went out there and uh, not not given it everything we got, besides maybe one game where we really struggled in B.C. Uh, but, you know, it is still a results-driven business. Our guys know that. Um, you know, as far as guys wanting to be here, I I think they're treated fairly, and our city's a good city, and and uh, we'd still 
believe in our guys and and uh, so I'm not worried about that as well but I am concerned obviously that uh you know you can't keep you know losing games that you feel like you're right in and you should win uh, otherwise obviously then uh you just play out the season that's something we don't want to do uh, Dave, a couple offensive linemen uh, not practicing yesterday. Two big ones in Sean McEwen and Zach Williams. Is, is, like obviously, two more days of practice uh, before you can really make a decision on their uh, their playing ability on on Saturday. But uh, uh, a chance maybe to see some younger guys uh, on that offensive line work in and see what they got. A uh, chance, but I mean, I'm sure hopeful that both guys yeah. can play because uh, they give us our best chance to win. Of course. Um, Especially, uh, you know, uh, we've always when we've when we've played in Hamilton, they they have a they have a just big people on their front, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they they've always been able to get pressure on us up the middle. So we need our best players playing. But if they can't, you're right. Uh, other uh, you know other guys have to step up, and you can see what they can do. But uh, you know we know Sean and, and Zach are two of our best, so we really need them for this game. And the opponent on Saturday, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, no, probably not going to see Bo Le- Levi Mitchell right away here, as he's still recovering from his injury. And but they have a new quarterback there in Taylor Powell, one of the one of the younger names to watch, uh, maybe in the future here. What what kind of challenges does uh, does he provide that that you guys have to worry about? And also like Tim White, uh, maybe one of the more underappreciated wide receivers in our game. Yeah, I think uh, you know they made a coaching change early on. They kind of simplified things and. And their quarterback does have mobility, and he can run, and he's he's very accurate. Uh, the the key with young quarterbacks is to try to get their eyes confused and get them to hold the ball longer. And hopefully that that's the case. You can get your pass rush home. So, um, and the other thing is get them in second along. You know, like that's what we didn't do against Montreal as much as they they were able to get the you know first down production. So they didn't have to do a lot of drop back pass, and we couldn't get exotic blitzes because they were able to get three, four, five, seven yards on first down. So that's the plan. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but uh, if you can mm-hmm. do that to a young quarterback, a lot of times get their eyes confused. You can make, you can have them make mistakes, and hopefully we take advantage of them. Dave, what's the best place for a meal in Hamilton? In Hamilton, probably. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm I'm kind of, I'm not real. Uh, to me, in Hamilton, it doesn't. Uh, we stay out in like Stony Creek, I believe. Okay, yeah, I know Stony Creek. Yep. And uh, like we're in, like next to a Walmart or something. It's just a really. It doesn't feel like you're at a, in a in a like a, a mecca or a city. And then we we drive in. So um, I'm not gonna. Say, I think like they have a, right next is like the Buffalo Wild Wings. A lot of guys go there. <laughs> yep. Cool. Um, a lot of times, what we do, Brent Monson's from there. We'd go to his parents' house. So that was the best meal by far because. They would provide beverages as well. Mm. And so I uh, haven't got that invite yet this year, though. They moved, so maybe they're, uh, they're in a smaller place. So we'll have to see if, uh, if anything's going to happen this year. Right, isn't it, it that 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 stadium in the CFL is in the weirdest spot, right, out of all the stadiums in the Canadian Football League? It's just literally just in a neighborhood. Yeah, well, so is ours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're but Calgary's right a big, like Calgary's a lot bigger than Hamilton. It's just the part where the the, the stadium, Tim Hortons Field, it's a, the, it's a nice part of Hamilton. I would say not so much, Dave. It's a, <laughs> it's got a lot of character. Let's just leave it at that. It's got a lot of character where Tim Hortons Field is in Hamilton. It does. You know what? Their their fans care though. It's, uh, no, it's always uh, it's always a wild place to go. Uh, Dave, uh, thanks for all the stories. Always a pleasure. Thanks for this. Best of luck this week. Okay. See you guys. Take care. Bye. There he is on the uh, Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Your head coach and general manager of your Calgary Stampeders, Dave Dickinson. Was just kind of looking through because, you know, 
they're going to be below 500 this year and they might miss the playoffs. Um, that doesn't happen to Dave in the CFL. No. So the first, second, this is going to be the first time he's ever below 500. The mm-hmm. closest he's ever been is 9, 8, and 1, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, this guy is a guy who has known nothing but success. Yep. And you can tell this year's weighing on it. That was a great chat. Then we got a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, man, feel for that group. I love when Dave tells stories. It's the best. Man, he's so good. Like all that bowling talk, we should definitely have like a, we've mentioned this before. We should have like a big show bowling thing. Charity bowling night. Where we all yeah. go bowling. Yeah, and it's for mm-hmm. charity. Yeah, We sure. should totally do that. Have Thank Dave you. show up. He'd be great. Yeah. In like January, like nobody's, nothing's happening. Yeah. Maybe some like, you know. Maybe the, fl- yeah. Maybe yeah. like Conroy, like on an off night for the Flames. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> like well, let's do have it. the franchise doing it. Bring mm-hmm. it to sales. Let's go. Yeah. Pat Steinberg can be the star of it. <laughs> he is the star. Yeah, we can do all of that. Make sure you check out his Twitter for the rosters today. Um, before we go, um, the biggest sports story in North America continues to be Taylor Swift going to the Kansas City Chiefs game yeah. on Sunday. And whether or not she was in that popcorn container. I wonder if she's going to be at MetLife. you think Life. she was in the popcorn container? Yes. Yes. How else does a person just disappear unless they put her through like the ventilation and they walked her through like that? That would have just been too much. That's mm. easier. Okay. Yeah. I don't I think have, she's going to be at MetLife. You don't think she's at MetLife? No. No, 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 no. Jeff no. fans going to be too... Too angry? Nobody's angry at Taylor Swift. I know. Except for that guy who wrote the hit piece on Taylor Swift. That's a good idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a guy who wrote a hit piece really? on Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> there's always people that aren't happy a, about people's happiness. Yeah, it's true. Uh, because their own lives are so miserable. Exactly. They try to tear down somebody who's actually accomplished something mm-hmm. in their lives. Anyway. Really dangerous way to live, I'm just going to say. Yeah. Calling out tweet Taylor Swift in a written piece. Um, like that. You're not going to have too you, many winners you, on that one. You realize they're going to find your address, right? <laughs> they will hunt you down. They will. Um, they will. Swifties. They're, tra- they're trying. They've yesterday. They were trying to find out what time Travis Kelsey like, was born, not the day. Yeah, do, what time yeah. he was born, the, so they could match up his star chart to hers. And that star chart looking good. Like they're paired. They're paired. Yeah. It's, they're paired. Oh, it's a perfect match. The astrology is perfect. Like, George. It just works. I wish I could understand that stuff. More. I don't understand do a actually, damn thing. Do you really. actually though? Do I seem like a guy who like really's into astrology? No, you don't. And it they got a date because Capricorn's in Venus right now. Travis's and... Mercury's falls in her tenth house, making her public image impacted by him in a positive way. That a is Virgo a... Mercury may be critical at times, and Travis will have to push past his discomfort of everyone knowing his business for this to be manageable long term. Now, um, I also <laughs> saw that Travis Kelsey's ex. Oh. Came out and said, oh, no, watch out, Taylor. Oh. That guy's a cheater. Once a <laughs> cheater, always a cheater. If there's one person you don't want to cheat on in this entire world, it's her. Because she'll write a song about you, and it'll so be a big hit. So many have done it before. Yeah. Um, don't do that. No. 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 You don't want no, a song written about no, you. No. You want to treat her as sweet as pie. So you she doesn't write a song about you. At this point, you're going to be a full-blown album. Yeah. Like, let's be serious. Yeah, like, Kelsey. like he's, And you could tell. Like, I'm telling you. I think he's nervous dating her. I think he's nervous. She already had an album named Red, didn't she? Yes, she did. Damn it. Um, <laughs> here's some stats of uh, since oh, good. Taylor Swift showed up at the mm-hmm. Chiefs and uh, Bears game. By the way, the Bears lost that game and they got crushed. And nobody's <laughs> talking about how terrible they looked. Um, a 400 <laughs> spike percent in uh, Travis Kelsey jersey sales. Yeah, he's a top uh, top 400 percent spike in Travis top five Kelsey. jersey across the NFL. Yep. Um, Kelsey's podcast now ranks number one overall on Apple. Yeah, New Heights just dropped this morning, and uh, 
It's gonna be. It's. I'm sure it's already gonna be the most listened to. I episode. think it came out yesterday. But oh, it did. Okay, that's right. He okay. he's added over three hundred and eighty-three thousand Instagram followers on his account. Whoa. Yep. Check Since so. Sunday. Yep. I'm um, included. How many people watch the game? <laughs> here's uh, here's why the NFL's king. Twenty-four point three million viewers watched that game. It was the number one game of the week. Well, they were entertained. Six, listen to this. 63% jump in female viewers, 18 to 49. That's where it's going to be huge. Massive. That's where the NFL is like, yes. Like Roger Goodell's like, <laughs> put a ring on that, Travis. Please put a ring on that. If uh, the NFL can get women, my God. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Here's the other thing, too. If the NFL invites this particular group of fans and says, come on down, you're going to love it here. Those fans are going to very quickly realize there's a lot of things we don't love about this league. I compare there's this a lot league of to things a drug, we don't man. like. I compare the NFL to a drug. People are it, all, people are already saying, Taylor, yeah. you got you got to talk to the Chiefs. Their <laughs> their name it's a little bit of, it's a little insensitive. Yeah. Taylor, you got to figure what this a, out. The I chop hate, can't do the nope. chop. And granted, the chop is a little. It's bad. Uh, there's more. Uh, three times increase in chief searches on the web. Three times increase in Chiefs sales on StubHub, and Chiefs sold more tickets in a single day since the start of the season. Which is amazing for, for, for having the best quarterback in the last 15 years, uh, maybe arguably best ever. Um, well, keep two your Super pants Bowls. on, Dumo. Hey. Best ever. Come two on. two Super Bowls, and he's Patrick only... Mahomes? Tom Brady's the best ever, and it's not even close. Talk to Mahomes me when he hasn't went... even finished his career. We haven't even... I know. We... I know. Yeah, where could you can't say he's the best ever. Maybe. I said arguably. No, not even arguably. It's Tom Brady, and there's no argument. And down the line. Maybe. Could there's be. still a lot. Fifteen, At least 15 years left in Mahomes. Could be. Can he win a Super Bowl without Andy Reid? I don't know. Tom Brady did without Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. But not vice versa. Also, Mahomes' style can make him different. Oh, no, he's different. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not disparaging Patrick Mahomes and his greatness. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. No, like, I'm just Tom, saying. Like, Tom Brady's the, how the unquestioned GOAT. The ticket sales, like, you have Mahomes, you have the two Super Bowls, you have this... You know, the closest thing to it, a dynasty we've seen in a long time, and yet Taylor Swift's the reason why the tickets are shooting all oh, the yeah. way up. Well, again, when you're the uh, most popular entertainer yeah. on the planet right Crazy. now, uh, you move the needle. <laughs> um, Dennis Bernstein um, was in Australia for the Kings and Coyotes. Uh, he'll join us next, and we'll play Impossible Flames trivia at 830. It's all straight ahead. It's the big show. Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.